0: As we look at Nehemiah and we look at his life, what we just did was really a summary of last week's message. But this morning, my prayer is that as you look at his resume, that you would look at your life and say, God, make me concerned. God, give me conviction. God, cause me to confess. God, let me have confidence and let me not be afraid of commitment. So this morning, take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2. As we look at this chapter in verses 1 through 10, we're going to look at the tools that Nehemiah brought with him to his task. And then we're going to look at the five tasks that he needed to accomplish. And so without further ado, let's dig in. Verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Man, here we've got Nehemiah. He's in there. He's in the presence of the king. It says he's a cupbearer to the king. He was a man of decisive action. In fact, if we look at the last verse of chapter 1, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, what we know is that in his decisiveness... He called out to God and said, God, I need victory, God, I need it now. And yet, God, we know that God caused him, God allowed him to have to spend four months fasting and praying. So when we look at the life of Nehemiah, we know that he wept over the condition of his city. But not just the condition of his city, because that was just bricks and mortar. He was con- weeping over, he was fasting over, he was praying over the condition of the people. It broke his heart. And Nehemiah said, Lord, give me victory today. God made him pray for four months. So Nehemiah could weep and pray in the hurt of the moment. But Nehemiah could also wait and pray. And God, I, I, my prayer today is that you would teach us to persevere, to keep on keeping on. You know, when you think about the life of Mount Zion Baptist Church. Man, we have been in a season where we've been having to pray Lord, deliver us. God, take us past all these challenges that we face financially. God, show us how to reach our community. And sometimes I I would think that the temptation is, God, I've prayed that prayer so long. But let's don't grow weary in doing good. Let's don't grow weary in crying out to God and saying, God, one more time, I'm going to bring it to you. Lord, we beg you for our city. Lord, we beg you for financial provision. Lord, we beg you for the opportunity to step into people's lives and make, mark, and mature them into obedient followers of Christ. God, we don't want just identification with people. Lord, we want relationship with people. We want to walk beside the person that walks in the door on a Sunday morning and says, my life is falling apart. We want to be right beside them. We want to walk with the person who walks in with the greatest news ever and we want to be able to celebrate with them. Nehemiah was a man who, one of the tools that he brought with him in this quest to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem was waiting have you had in your life? Have you had to wait on an answer from God? Have you been, had something in your prayer journal and you said, Lord, I pray for? And it seemed like that the Lord I pray for and the answer to that is just eons and pages apart. What we learn from Nehemiah is don't quit, don't give up, keep calling out, keep crying to Jesus. And let's pray. But you see, Nehemiah, he didn't just bring waiting with him in his quest to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He also brought trusting. Let's go back to verse 2. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Nehemiah was sad in the last part of verse 1. One, it's the word that's used three times. And let me tell you something. When you brought sadness in front of the king, you better have a pretty good reason. Because you had one job. It was to keep the king happy. The king needed to know that you were going to bring something good. You were going to take away his worries, his woes. He wanted you to bring smiles to the place. And if you're his cupbearer and you just drank the wine, he sure doesn't want you to have a sad face because he thinks the wine may be poisoned. And so Nehemiah, he's standing there. The king has looked at him and said, What are you doing? Now there's two reasons for that fear. The king's expectations. I just told you. The king expected you to be happy. But there's another reason for Nehemiah to be sad. It's the king's edict. And you say, well, what does that mean? It was something that he issued. Back in Ezra 421 where it's recorded, it says, Now issue an order to these men to stop work so that this city, guess what this city was? Jerusalem. It was the very place that Nehemiah wanted to go. He said, that this city will not be rebuilt until so I order. Nehemiah knew that it was going to take the, the power of God to confront the pride of the king to change the command that had been issued as law. So Nehemiah said, sad. He's thinking, this is an overwhelming task. How am I going to accomplish this? Can I ask you this morning, what are you afraid of? Can I ask you this morning what it is you fear? Do you fear failure again? Do you fear your past? Do you fear your present? Do you fear the future things that you're looking at? You know that, that moment that you, you, you sit down and you, you want to pay bills or you want to do something and there's more money than there is money? You, you know what I'm talking about. You're, you, there's, there's an anxiety that comes over you. Or you've had conflict with someone and you know that you're about to to have to have face-to-face interaction with them. And you're like, God, can I stump my toe? Could I break my nose? Can I do anything but not have to go into this moment? Well, Nehemiah's got some fear, but, but keep going because he's trusting. And it says to us here, when you can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king... May the king live forever. Why should I f- my face look sad when the city, why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? In the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Spencer Johnson asked a question. What would you do if you were not afraid? What is the thing that you would accomplish? What is the thing that you would tackle? What is the thing that you would try for? If you were not afraid. Nehemiah had a conviction. Nehemiah had a concern. Nehemiah had fear because of the king's expectations. Nehemiah had fear because of the king's edict. But yet his fear of the king was overpowered by his trust and the call of God on his life. So much so... That when the king began to talk to him, he ultimately answered. And it propelled him to action. Because the next thing we see is that Nehemiah waited. Nehemiah trusted. And then look in verses 4 and 5. The king said to me, What is it you want? You remember the uh, movie that... Um, Tom Cruise was in, and he was the lawyer, and Jack Nicholson was the commander of of the basin for a few good men. And he had that moment in the movie where he had to decide, was he going to go for it, confront Jack Nicholson, or was he going to, to back away from it? And in that moment, he decided that he would go forward, and ultimately, he confessed to the crime. That's where Nehemiah is at this moment. He is standing there about to talk to the king. And the king has asked him a question. What is it you want? And don't you know in Nehemiah's mind was, I want to say, king, I need a few months off. King, I need some provisions. King, I need this. King, I need, I need, I need. But he knew that if he crossed the king the wrong way, it was death. This was a life and death moment for him. But his trust in God, his trust that had been built up over four months of fasting and praying, allowed him to step out to God. What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. Do you see that? The king said, now this was not one of those get on your knees, bow your head, and oh Lord, let me draw it out for a really long time. It wasn't that kind of prayer. That kind of prayer had been going on for four months. He had been weeping. He had been fasting. He had been crying out, God give me wisdom. God give me direction. God show me the plan. But at that moment when the king said, what is it you want? Before he answered the king with, this is what I want, he cried out and said, God give me the words. God give me strength. God give me help. Well, maybe he just said help. I don't know. But it says that he Talk to the Lord, and he answered the king. Nehemiah prayed to the king of heaven. Nehemiah answered the king on earth. I tell you, in your life's journey, you're going to have moments when the prayers need to be long, and then you're going to have moments when the prayers need to be, Help! Daddy! <laughs> Father! Don't know what to do. I'm scared. And the scripture says that we can come boldly and we can come confidently. But you see, that wasn't just a crisis prayer with no foundation. That was a crisis prayer based on a relationship of lifestyle, of months, of weeks of calling out. We need to be there. We need to bring these tools. We need to bring the waiting. We need to bring the trusting. We need to bring the praying. But look at it. Now, once because he had prayed up and because he was prepared, then when he was posed with the question, Nehemiah was able to give an answer. What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Do you see the wisdom that God gave Nehemiah there? Ezra 4.21, the king had issued an edict that said, do not rebuild Jerusalem. So when Nehemiah is asked the question about what is it you want, he never brought up Jerusalem he brought up the personal connection. You get it? Hey, King Artaxerxes. If I found favor. Hey, King, if there's anything between us for all this wine I've sipped so that you're not dead. If there's anything there. Will you let me go back to the Father. To the city of my fathers. Now. Now. Nehemiah knew something. He knew that ancestors played a huge part in the culture of the people of Persia. So he reached in there and he tugged on the heartstrings. He just hit a strum. You know what I'm talking about? It was there. And now Nehemiah and King Artaxerxes, they've got a connecting point. And Nehemiah, he said, if it pleases you, will you do this? And let's keep on reading. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him. Now here's another God intervention. The king usually dined alone. But historians believe that Nehemiah had had an opportunity to plead his case. You know how you do a practice run? That he had a practice run with the queen. And the queen said, look, dude, I know it's going to be tough but I'm going to go with you. You know how it is that moment that your kid needs to ask dad something and mom says, you know what, we better do this together. We better go talk to your dad. So he's sitting there in the the presence of the queen and ask him, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? If it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. And I said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timbers to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted me my request. Nehemiah knew what he needed. Nehemiah knew that he needed the king's permission. Nehemiah knew that in this planning process, that he was going to need protection. So he said, King, if it pleases you, let me go. He said, King, if you will, give me letters because I'm about to go across some dangerous areas. I'm about to confront some things that if I don't have your stamp, then I won't make it. So he said, God, King, give me permission. King, grant me protection. But you know what? When I get there, I'm going to need some building supplies. Now, he didn't ask for a gift card to Home Depot. No, he was very specific. He said, I need to go to Asaph, the guy that keeps your forest. And I need to be able to go to him with your letter of approval that says, let him cut down the trees he's going to need to do very specific things. You see, guys, when you go to God and you cry out, God enjoys that specific communication. He wants you to tell him what you need. He, wants you, he delights in you having this conversation with him. Nehemiah asked for these things. Nehemiah received these things, but look at it, Nehemiah also knew, because now we're at testifying, look at verse 8. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me tenders to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted me my request. Nehemiah was testifying, he was giving a testimony to the goodness of God in answering his prayers, in guiding his mind, in directing his speech, in meeting his needs. What he was saying was this, that only God could have brought about the dramatic change in the heart and the mind of the king. Had it not been for God, this wouldn't have happened. You see, he didn't take credit for his boldness. He didn't give the king over credit for his generosity. He said, no. God intervened. Now, off to the side in your notes, let me give you some things that, that I think we can pray for right here for Mount Zion. We need permission. We need permission to complete the sale on this corner. We need protection against those who are working against us for that corner not to sell there are some who don't want it to sell there are some that would say no I don't want it to be this or I don't want it to be that so those in authority over us are saying that it would be better if it was something else and you see we do need provision because we have money that we owe people And so it is a time for us as we're thinking about building for the future and being the church that will reach this community that will be mobile and and fleet of foot so that we can shift with the times. God, we need these things. God, here's the plan. God, we want to be a... Place That this community can come to God we want to be able to do the things That will reach people God here's our plan We want to sell that corner God we want to improve the facilities We're going to keep God we want to be able to To use this property for your glory And God when it happens We won't take the credit We will give you the praise So Nehemiah He had these tools, he was waiting, he was trusting, he was praying, he was planning, and he was quick to testify. But then once Nehemiah had all that he needed, and the king had granted him permission, he now went out on his journey. Look with me, let's go verse 10 and 11. It says, So let me back up to 9 to get the whole thought. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. He had safe passage. The king also sent army officers and cavalry with me. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, verse 11 And after staying there three days, I set out during the night. You see what he did? I mean, Nehemiah had talked to his brother when his brother returned. Nehemiah had a concern for his people. Nehemiah was in such great concern that he began to weep and to pray. For four months, Nehemiah wept, and for four months, Nehemiah prayed. Then Nehemiah was granted permission by the king, and it says that his journey was a four-month journey. So here he is eight months into this thing and when he gets there, he doesn't immediately run around and start looking. The scripture says that for three days he just sat down. He rested his body. You say, well, that wouldn't have been me. I'd have grabbed that bull by the horns. I'd have started throwing it down right at that moment. No, there's a scriptural principle there that is very, very important. When God is giving you the big task, you don't want to be emotionally drained. You want to be mentally prepared. You want to seek the Lord. You want to wait on the Lord. The scripture says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes the best thing you can do to complete the task is not to to push forward, but to wait. Nehemiah, he waited. Now, I'm going to tell you that the Scripture says that Ezra rested, Elijah rested, Jesus rested. And you can find other places that God said that people rested in the middle of a task. I do believe that these next days and weeks, that when we pause at 7.14, morning and evening to pray. And by the way, thank you for those of you who are doing it. I know many are. And we're praying for our church and we're praying for our community and we're praying for our nation. It may feel like, well, why aren't you doing something? We are doing something. We're doing, we're following the model of the man Nehemiah who built, rebuilt the city. God, show us what we need to do. Do you understand that when you open these doors and you walk out into this community that we know is South Atlanta, that you will be hit with a number of needs and every one of them seem like the exact thing you ought to grab. And we can be so busy grabbing the needs, it's like that money machine. You know, you get in it, they throw all the money in there and then they turn on the fan and they say, grab all the money you can and stuff it in your pockets. And in reality, you don't really leave with that much money because you just can't catch it. That's kind of the way life is right now. It's kind of the way things are in our community. Man, we can walk out this door and we start going here, 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 and here, and here. And we need to know. We need to know what God is telling us to do. Nehemiah rested his body. Keep on going with me. Verse 12. After three days, I set out during the night with a few kind of an interesting thing why not go in the daytime he assessed the need I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one that I was riding. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the the jackal well and the dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate in the king's pool but there was not enough room for my mount to get through so I went up the valley by night examining the wall Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or to the priests or the nobles or the officials or any other who would be doing the work. He assessed the need. Nehemiah knew that in order to lead the project, he would need a first-hand picture. What were his observations from his moonlight journey? First of all, it was going to be a demanding job. There were places that he couldn't even pass with his donkey. There was destruction everywhere he turned. He knew that it was going to be a hazardous job because we've already found out in verse 10 that Sanballat and Tobiah were there and they were against him. They were opposing him. We're going to learn later that there was a man named Geshem that opposed him. He knew it was going to be hazardous and he knew that it was going to be demanding. But he also knew from learning from this that it was going to be bigger than something he could do himself. It says, I had not yet told anybody... Who would be doing the work with me? It was going to be a cooperative effort. It was going to take a team of people. It was going to be more than, boy, we need to do something about these walls. Because, see, they've been sitting there a long time looking at those walls, but they did not feel empowered to tackle the job. We got to do this. the next task. Verse 17, he recruited the workers. Then I said to them, these people he hadn't yet spoken to, okay, these that were there and wondering what this new guy in town was doing. Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in and it's Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace, we're not told how he did it, but we know from what's happening here that he assembled a large group of people. We knew that he had them there, and he, we knew he was communicating with them. And look, the first thing he did was he identified with his workers. Look back at the beginning. Then I said to them, You see, we? He didn't say, Look at your town, it sure is a mess. He said, Look at our town, it lies in ruins. We. You see, every time we ride by this church and every time we pull on this property and every time we drive up and down the streets, we don't need to say, Boy, they need to do something. No, we need to do something. We need to get involved. We need to be a part of the solution. We need to be looking for the answers. We need to be saying, Here I am, Lord, send me. You brought me to this place in your sovereignty You've allowed me to live in this place, in this moment, in this place, in this time. And God, I, everywhere I look, I see need. And Lord, I want to be a part of the solution. You have told me in the New Testament that I am your ambassador. And God, I'm telling you, I'm joining you. I don't know what to do, but I'll do what I know. And Nehemiah, he didn't know what to do till he got there. But we know that he knew to fast, and we know that he knew to pray. And we know that he knew to begin to ask permission. He wasn't just complacent. But you see, Nehemiah wasn't just talking about the walls, the physical walls. He had a spiritual perspective to this thing. He recruited the workers, he identifies with them, he has a spiritual perspective. What was the spiritual perspective? We are Israel. We are the Jewish people. We are God's chosen people. We are the ones that He designated to be the mouth to the world of the great Jehovah God. And these people that we're trying to inspire are looking around and saying... Their God can't even help them put the wall back up. Their God can't even energize them to gather in worship. So if their God is that weak, then why do I want to follow their God? Nehemiah got real. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you. Every week that we take up that building offering, we are giving a voice, of vote of confidence. God, this community is worth our sacrifice. God, this community is worth our effort. God, we're going to give until it's gone. And God, we're going to trust you to be the provider. And God, as you bless me, I want to bless this community, I want to continue to be a place that people can gather on Sunday, Wednesday, Friday, Thursday, Saturday, seven days a week. People at some point in time use these facilities. God, we want it to be a place that when they walk in the door, they know that our God is alive. And that He is in us. And He's making a difference. And we are more than conquerors. Yes, we are laboring beside them. Yes, we face the same problems. And yes, the journey is long. But God, we trust You and we're going to keep on keeping on. And we will shout of Your mercy. We will proclaim Your goodness. Every time one volunteer comes in here to clean this church, and there are many that do, We are proclaiming, we want to join the effort. Every time somebody teaches a life group, they are saying, we want to be a part of the solution. Every time we go and unlock the doors and invite the community in to play basketball, we're saying, God, we want to be a part of what you're doing. But guys, listen to me, it takes a collective effort. It takes collaboration. What is your part? How are you going to join it? How are you going to get here? It was a spiritual perspective, but he also called them to immediate action. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work come, let's rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We will no longer be a disgrace. I told them about the hand of God, and they said, let us start. You know what I'm talking about? Football game. Every football game starts with what in the end zone? Usually a banner of some kind. And it's held up there and there's cheerleaders out in front and there are people cheering and behind that sheet there's a group of people and they are pumped up and they are ready to go and finally somebody says let's go and they bust through and they run onto the field and said we're about to win this game. (laughs) Yes, if you're an Alabama fan that's what they do. If you're a Georgia fan I think they walk out and say how can we lose it today? Let's let the 165-pound halfback run it and never mind. Another story. That's what he did. He urged them to action. He motivated them. He laid out the task. And he said, oh, it's big, but God is bigger. Oh, it's big, but we can do it because God has called us. And he was there. He was in it. He was so much a part of what was going on. He rested his body. He assessed the need. He recruited the workers. He inspires confidence. Go down to verse 18. Let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. You see, this is what... Nehemiah was facing for a number of years those walls and that city and their spiritual condition had been in ruins so when he got there he faced an apathetic people they were content they didn't really like it I'm sure but have you ever taken a pair of uh shoes and put them in your house and you walk in and out of your house so much that you don't even see those shoes anymore come on I am not the only one surely okay thank you Rick I see that hand is there another yes amen my brother I see it yes and now we're getting honest in church But you know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's a stack of books. Maybe it's a sewing bag. Maybe it's your thing. Whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you find out company's coming. And that thing that you didn't see. I wore tie shoes today. I usually have loafers. I could have just slipped my feet back in them. Okay. We won't use those today the rest of the time. But you know what I'm talking about. You just get apathetic. You get content. It's there but you don't really see it. And then all of a sudden company's coming. And now you see it. Well, Nehemiah was company. Nehemiah had come in and said, Hey, look! Your city's falling apart. And the people walked out and said, Wow, that gate's broke. Oh, look over there. That wall's falling down. My, my, my. Those weeds are growing up all over there. Can I issue a life group challenge? On October the 31st, we're inviting the community of South Atlanta to come and be a part of the fall festival. Before that event, there's some tidying up that needs to be done. There's some beds that need pine straw. There's some weeds on this hill over here that you, I don't think you can pull them up, but at least they could be cut down. In corners, there's spider webs. I mean, we got volunteers that do a lot of cleaning, but I'm telling you, we got more cleaning than, we, than, than volunteers can. Maybe a group of friends would come together and say, you know what, I'll take care of that one. I'll get this. So that when the community comes, they don't see the city looking like it is not cared for. He inspired confidence. He faced contentment. But you know the other thing that you face sometimes when you approach people? Is you say, hey, let's, uh, let's accomplish this task. Oh, pastor, we already tried that. That's two enemies of progress. We tried it. If you go back in the history of this church there was a time that space ran out not just in these three buildings but in these two buildings here and all those buildings over there. So much so that that Sunday school classes at the times what they were called life groups today life groups met in buses am I right? Life groups met in the, the flat part of stairwells, life groups met in closets, met in where? Bathrooms, if there was a room and a space, there were groups of people that met in it. That's how much that this church was convic- convinced, convicted that it needed to reach this community. We didn't look and say we don't have space. We looked and said, oh, there's some space. Let's get in it. There are some things that we've tried before that worked, and I've done some research, and I kind of think I know what those things are. Is that small groups took ownership of connecting with people, and they contacted them. They were in relationship with them. They walked beside each other, and they began to do life together, hence the name Life Group. And you say, well, we've tried it. Yes, we have. And when we tried it, it was a happening and going on thing in this community. So, Mount Zion, if you're not in a life group, get in one. If we need a Another one, we'll find somebody to lead it. Life groups that already exist. Reach out, contact, do life with, walk beside each other. Let's begin to say, when you're not here, I miss you. Come and join. We have a task that needs collaborative effort. And we want our community. Maurice, what's up, man? How are you? You snuck in back there on me. I know you did. I know you've been here, but I just recognized you back there. Maurice comes to open gym, and he's here today, and I am glad he is here. Yeah. Yep. Man, come join. Let's do life together. Let's reach out. He inspired the confidence of the people. Look at what he did in 19 and 20. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem, now you see that those detractors, those opponents are growing, heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? <laughs> they asked, Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. Man, he faced the opposition. And what did the opposition do? They mocked his efforts. They questioned his motives. And how did he respond? Like, "Uh uh-uh. No, he didn't do that. What he did was, no. The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. In other words, I don't know who you think you are. But I do know who God is. And I know that you don't have a claim on any of this. Neither back yonder, right now, or out yonder. You don't have any of it. This is God's and His alone, and we will serve Him. And we have gone the process. We know that we're right. We are not mocking the king. We know that we are... Here, and we know we're doing what God called us to do, Mount Zion, we have got to have that conviction that no matter what we face, we know that God will give us victory because we know that what He's called us to, to tell this community that Jesus is the answer and that He provides hope is a good and worthy and right and eternal cause. So what are the missing pieces? It's not needs. They're all around us. Our need is not people. We've got hundreds of thousands of them. Our need is for us as a unit of people to move in one. That when Pastor Russell says we're going to have life groups and this is how they'll work. Man, we're going to join. We're going to support. We're going to make his job easy. He's going to have to be running to keep up with us because he's not going to have to pull one thing because we're going to already be out there. When Ms. Autry says, this is what we need to do for preschool and children, she's going to have to say, thank you, but I've got enough volunteers already. Hey and then Tim and Tondra, Tim, how many young men and women do you think from the community you've got coming that, that we don't yet, have not yet built a solid relationship with? 50? Is that fair? Is that a good guess? We've got 50 young men and women from this community. By the way, Dre, you're getting baptized today, aren't you? Yep. Mom's with you? Yeah. Let me tell you about Dre. New in the community. Came to church one Sunday and said, man, I've just been missing church. Yeah. And he's here today. Going to get baptized. But, man, for every Dre, there's 49 more. More. That we need to connect with. Man, Tim, Tandra, stand up for me. Yep, right there. If you are willing, if you are able, to, if you can't do nothing but smile, everybody practice one time on three. One, two, three, smile. Bam. See, everybody in here could be a youth volunteer. Because if you'll stand at the door and smile and say, glad you came, man, that may just be the one connection we need. But if you can help, see them right there. Miss Altry's over in Children's church. Go see her. Say, "How can I help you? What can we do? Jim, you walked in, didn't you? Jim, stand up for me, Jim. Older adults took 25 people to pick apples the other day. Yes, and we had a good time. Apples are at my house. Yes, they are. But let me tell you, every Thursday, they go out and minister. Every Thursday they meet. With exception of a few, I say every somebody say wasn't every Thursday, but you know what I'm saying. There's a whole lot of Thursdays they meet and go do something. All right, there they go out, they minister there for everything we're doing for senior adults right now. There's probably a hundred things more that we could be doing. Man, if you want to get in it, see, he'll figure it out. Median adults, yeah. Man, there's a need. Women's ministry, men's ministry. Let me tell you, if you're a man, stand up. Yeah. Aren't right, you? Look, right here. That is men in church. Yeah. But, Mr. D, we need men in small groups. And let me tell you, every herd of cows needs a bell cow, right? Well, I need some man that'll be the bell cow that'll say, I tell you what, I'm going to be in small group. I'm going to be involved in ministry. I'm going to be the one that does it. I'm going to be the one that busts through that curtain. And every man will know that I am not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because right now, let me tell you how many men we've had show up the last four Wednesday nights for men's Bible study. How many? Stand up and hold it big so everybody will see it zero men now wait a minute now now we have had because in 6:30 we have a cooperative it's not that no men are coming but I'm talking about one that we designated at 7:30 because men said if you'll have a men's bible study I'll show up ain't nobody came I'm too whew, even the crickets were lonely but I'm going to tell you, it's not healthy because every time y'all don't show up, we either go to Truett's or Waffle House and eat afterwards because we're so sad we got to eat our woes away. And I'm going to tell you, those waffles are amazing. Yeah, but do you see what I'm telling you guys? It's look, for every man in this room, there's dozens more out there that are asking the meaning to life tell you, man, this community really is receptive. Hey, Jesse and Wendy, I'm going to set you on the spot. Will you stand up for me right quick? Man, Jesse was over in here in the playground playing with his son, and we walked up and said, hey, man, would you come to church one Sunday? A couple of weeks, he was sitting in church with him and his wife and his sons and baby on the way. That's right. And today, Jesse and Wendy are going to be baptized. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. You may be seated. And not only that, but man, they brought family to church with them today. Yeah. And then I learned that, Wendy, you played softball here at the church back back in the day? Yeah, pretty cool. Listen, man, there is so much opportunity. And I mean it is I don't don't want to equate people to fruit, but I'm just going to tell you, it's low-hanging fruit. It's fruit that you don't need a ladder to grab. You just reach out and pull it and pick it. It's ripe. Yeah. (laughs) All Nehemiah did was he started with, Oh, man, it stinks that my people are in trouble. And when he said, Oh, man, it stinks that my people are in trouble... He went to God and said, God, what do I do? And God took his all man to a plan. And then God provided the way for him to get to the land. And then he brought people to help him. And the next thing you know that in 52 days, that thing that was in ruins was rebuilt. And a people were revived and life was happening again. What's God calling us to? I think just today, if we, could, that if we could just reaffirm our concern. God, here's our concern. And God, today we're bringing that concern to you. There ought to not be one person that is not praying for this community and this church and this nation when we have our time of response. Because now is the time. I am tired of the woes and I'm tired of the naysayers. Now's the time. It's time to build. It's time to reach the community. And we need you. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more or to contribute to online giving, please visit www.mzbc.org. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear more, simply click on the sermons tab or subscribe to the Simple Truth Podcast through iTunes. Thank you for supporting Mount Zion, where you are welcome, wanted, and needed.